Hi, welcome to the Times of Israel's Daily Briefing. It is Wednesday, March 1st, and I'm Jessica Steinberg. I'm joined today by political reporter Tal Schneider and U.S. correspondent Jacob Magid. Hello, good morning to you both. Hi, Jessica. Hey, Jessica. Hey, Tal. So we will talk about today's planned day of disruption organized by the protest movement against the justice overhaul plan, the U.S. reaction to the riots in the Palestinian town of Khurara, former Attorney General Avichai Mandelblit on the reform, and U.S. Ambassador to Israel Tom Nides and his warning to Diaspora Affairs Minister Avichai Chikli. Before we jump into all of that, a quick word from our sponsor. Okay, Tal, let's get started with you. We've got demonstrations and protest marches, temporary strikes at workplaces, the blocking of roads, house calls at or near homes of coalition lawmakers and ministers, and it's all laid out in great detail on a dedicated website and map that is open on my computer. What are our expectations for what this day is going to be like this Wednesday, March 1st? Yes, yeah, so um, first we must uh, note that in the Knesset, the chairman of the Judicial Committee, Rotman, is continuing today with the first call in the committee of the override clause. And um, there is also a death penalty on the table of the plenium today. So things are moving very, very fast in the Knesset. There is a, a vote in the committee and there is a vote in the plenium and things, uh, you know, business as usual. And all over the country, people are planning to be out in many events. Um, we know for sure that the first event in the morning was supposed to be a huge demonstration against the defense minister. He was scheduled to appear in a conference in Tel Aviv. It's called the INSS um, think tank. He was supposed to give um, a whole, you know, strategic speech. People from all over the country were planning to be there at, you know, very early in the morning, 8.30 to block the area and so on. So we now get the uh, announcement that he canceled his appearance at the conference. So if you're talking about uh, March 1st, National Day of Disruption, the first disruption happened. They called on agricultural uh, communities all over the country to get out with their heavy machinery, like tractors or other machinery that can drive on the roads and drive along the roads with their machinery. This is something that can cause huge traffic jams, right? They drive very slow as it is. Uh, you know, they call them on to put flags on their heavy machinery and drive around, you know, mostly, I suppose, in the northern part of, of the country. This is uh, something for less to be seen in Tel Aviv area. It will be seen mostly in the Emek Israel and Galilee part of the country. The police announced uh, very late on uh, Tuesday night that they will close the Shalom intersection, the Ayalon Highway. It will be closed uh, very early in the morning because of the expected uh, demonstration all over the area. At night, at around 7 p.m., lots of people are getting up to Jerusalem again to demonstrate across the street from the Prime Minister's house. This is now not Balfour Street anymore because he moved to Gaza Street, Gaza Street, actually. I don't know how many people will be there, but we do know that um, there is a different way the Tel Aviv police is handling things as opposed to the Jerusalem police, which is much more tense 
last time they protested against the prime minister uh, across the street from his house, there were some brutal arrests uh, taking place, which led to an uh, argument inside the police between the Benvir, the minister of, uh, of police, the minister of national security, and the police chief in the area. I mean, Benvir thought the police chief was not harsh enough on the demonstrations in Jerusalem. So this is taking place in Jerusalem. Um, and also there is a lot of other, you know, small roadblocks or house calls that the demonstrations are conducting near the houses of the coalition lawmakers. Let me just say one more thing. This is not done Today, uh, Wednesday, we, there is another uh, big demonstration expected on Saturday. And this coming Saturday, for the first time, a right-wing uh, former politician is arranging a Givachmuel demonstration in the heart of the religious Zionist residents, like the biggest city where the religious Zionists, you know, many politicians and many prominent uh, rabbis and leaders. So this former politician coming from the right wing is arranging a very unique uh, and, and different demonstration on Saturday night. And he calls on people from the right wing, religious right wing, to come up and appear. I talked to him yesterday. His name is Yoaz Hendel. And he told me people from the right wing were devastated by the Havara, uh, Hawara event, the torch, the, the pogrom that took place in, in on Sunday between the night of Sunday and Monday, and and this is shaking them up to realize that you know lots of you know bad things are happening right now, and they need to come out and and be out there for the uh, protesters. All right, thanks for that, Tal. Jacob, let's turn to you. Turning to uh, the events in Hawara, the settler caused riots. They've been called a pogrom, the burning of homes and of cars. So there have been remarks made about it, obviously, by several countries regarding those riots. What has been the U.S. response? How are they reacting to it? And what are the comments that they are making? Right. So just to review, what happened was in addition to dozens of cars and buildings being torched, there was also uh, over over 300 people, Palestinians injured, four of them seriously, and a 37-year-old man was also killed under unclear circumstances, whether it was due to settlers that shot him or that his family says it was soldiers that did. Um, but there's an investigation into that. And the U.S. response was pretty swift. Hours after it happened on Sunday evening, U.S. State Department spokesman Ned Price tweeted um, a fierce condemnation, but he also condemned the terror shooting um, that took place hours earlier in which two Israeli brothers were killed driving through that same town. Um, and then he also followed up with the condemnation of settler violence. And what was kind of interesting about that initial tweet, it was only two, two separate posts, um, but that he separated once was the, was the, the, what he called terrorism of the attack on the Jews and the settler violence of the attack on Palestinians. And that caused a bit of uproar amongst Palestinian officials. So the next day that he equated them. No, actually, that he wasn't willing to call the settler violence terrorism. Uh-huh. Um, that That's what uh, frustrated some of these Palestinian officials. So the next day um, at the State Department briefing, he avoided using the term terrorism, I believe, specifically for either. Um, and then when I asked him about it at the briefing, he kind of said, don't we're not trying to parse my word. Don't don't look into every single letter of what we said. We condemn both of these incidents forcefully. 
But on the but on the issue of settler violence, he elaborated a little bit more in this briefing the next day on on Monday, basically saying not only do we condemn it, but we demand accountability and we demand that the Israelis compensate those impacted um, in the who had property damaged. And I asked a senior U.S. official afterwards what was kind of behind the statement, and they said that there's there's a feeling in Washington that there's total impunity for settlers who carry out these attacks. Um, and it just came off the foot of basically a few hours later, Israel announced that it, it had released all eight people that it had arrested, um, and there haven't been any people charged yet, even though there were hundreds of people that participated in these riots, and the IDF was pretty close as it, as it happened. So there's a lot of frustration in Washington. And then another senior official I spoke with there said that there's all, it was also frustrating for them because this happened hours after this summit that took place in Aqaba, which was uh, pretty pretty unprecedented. It brought Israeli and Palestinian, Jordanian and Egyptian and U.S. officials together to try to take steps to de-escalate tensions. And then this happens hours afterwards. So it kind of draws, it brings one step forward, 10 steps back, if depending on how you look at it. Um, and apropos this lack of accountability that same day, the State Department issued its country reports on terrorism. It just happened to be on the same day. There's really no, co there's really no intention. And when they release these reports, it releases for every country around the world. But this report, um, I think the headline from the report, at least that the, what we took out of it was that, uh, the Israeli security personnel often did not prevent settler attacks and rarely detained or charged perpetrators of settler violence. So that's what the report says. And then you see these people that were released and the settlers that were able to carry out these attacks with kind of largely impunity. Um, it, this was a report from on the year 2021 and numbers were 496 attacks on Palestinians and just one conviction of one in one incident of a settler who threw a threw a, a stun grenade into a Palestinian home and he got just 20 months in prison and is already out. So um, the other thing that was noted in the, the report was the expanded severity and scale of these attacks that larger groups are doing this together. It's not just one or two youth um, in the middle of the night. They're doing it in broad daylight because of, again, this, this notion of impunity. Um, so that, that was highlighted. Um, and that was just 2021. The numbers, that 496 numbers almost doubled in 2022. So the, as if that wasn't enough, on Tuesday, Hadi Amar, who's the special representative for Palestinian affairs, it's a new position they created a couple of months ago, he visited Hawara, um, which is pretty unprecedented. It's the highest level American official to, to pay such a visit, studied some of the damages um, and, and put out some pictures of the visit and also tweeted again the call for accountability and for compensation for those affected. And what was interesting from these, these tweets is that I found out that Israeli officials were actually quite furious about them because it didn't include a condemnation of the terror shootings that preceded the settler rampage. Including the terrorist shooting of Ilan Ganellis, an Israeli American. Exactly, the next day. So the so I spoke with some U.S. officials to understand where they were coming from, and and basically they said that, of course we've condemned those we've condemned those attacks before. We condemned it again since, but we didn't think that this was a specific visit for this issue of the settler violence, and it would have been like going to pay a shiva call at a at the family of a terror victim, and then try and and then condemning. Uh, 
settler violence there. I think they felt it wasn't the right place, but still, I think they got the message from Israel because there was this frustration passed along. And the U.S. Office of Palestinian Affairs, which is where Hadi, is Hadi Amr's office, is issued another subsequent tweet later in the day, basically condemning the the violence that's taken place over the past few days. So there's clearly been enough to contentions, not just between Israelis and Palestinians, but this has caused tension between Israelis and the Biden administration as well. Right. And we will talk more about some of those tensions after the break. Okay, so Tal, uh, Mandelblit spoke yesterday and he described the government's judicial overhaul program as a regime coup. Uh, Very, very strong words. Those were not the only strong words that he made last night. And he's also saying that the attorney general and the high court of justice would have a duty to strike it down if the proposed legislation is approved by the Knesset. Tell us more and your thoughts about it, please. Right, uh, quite amazing words for Avi- from Avichai Mendelblit, who was an appointee of Netanyahu. He is a religious right-wing man. I have to tell you, Jessica, during his tenure as the Attorney General, he was much more hesitant and much more reserved with his words and the, the way he, um, you know, treated things uh, around the country. But last night at the INSS uh, think tank, uh, it was very harsh. As you said, he described the overall uh, judicial you know, program as a regime coup, and he and he insisted that the um, proposed legislation, if the proposed legislation uh, is approved, then the the Supreme Court of Israel, the High Court, w- will have a duty to strike it down. I mean, this is calling for the High Court to strike down basic law for the first time since the country was uh, formed. So so this is the first time the Supreme Court will strike down a basic law, unprecedented event. So I think, uh, obviously, it was not a question and answer session. It was not an interview. We have to stress, stress it that he was the one who put forward the indictments, the free indictments against Netanyahu when he was in, in tenure. And the people who worked for him in the attorney general office, as, such as the main prosecutor, Liad Benari, are suffering, you know, um, since, since they became the prosecutors, they're suffering harassments and they're suffering, I mean, they're being guarded. They have to go with the, the uh, personal details around them and their life is under threat for many friends. This is taking place for the last, in the last couple of years. So he, he became, um, very vocal in the last month or so. He was very quiet up until then. But I think, uh, it was quite amazing to hear him speak, uh, in such, uh, you know, strong man, strong, uh, words. Mm-hmm. Okay. Thanks for that, Tal. Jacob, turning back to you. So U.S. Ambassador to Israel, Tom Nides, on Tuesday, really uh, struck back at Diaspora Affairs Minister Amichai Chikli, who had said earlier this month that the envoy should mind his own business. Um, Nides had been calling out, speaking about uh, the Israeli government slowing down the judicial overhaul plan. Uh, this seems... Not unexpected in a sense, but this does not usually happen, this kind of back and forth between the U.S. ambassador and an Israeli politician. What can you tell us about the circumstances and uh, 
thoughts about Tom Nides? Yeah, I think it was, uh, I, I used the phrase in the headline, he clapped back, which yes. I thought was a pretty cool, a cool phrase that they even kept in. I guess the editor must have been asleep when he, when he edited that one. But um, <laughs> so they kept that in there. That's how I would describe it. Basically about, I think two weeks ago, he went on a podcast with, that was hosted by David Axelrod, who's a former Obama administration official. And he said all sorts of quite, um, interesting and unprecedented statements that you don't usually hear a diplomat say. Um, and one of them was that he was calling on the Israel to pump the brakes on its judicial, its plans to overhaul the judiciary. Now, the, the, com- the comments were largely unnoticed until actually we, someone flagged the interview to me and we wrote it up and then it kind of blew up on all across Israeli media, which is interesting. Um, with, uh, it followed Biden's own consensus call or his own call to build consensus, but I think Israel was fine with that call, which happened a few days before, even though that was pretty unprecedented. I think what really angered uh, Israeli officials across uh, quite a few of them in the government was that he wasn't just he didn't just say that um, you should pump the brakes, but he said, as I tell my kids, you should pump the brakes. So I don't think that was too too, too appreciated. Um, so Netanyahu himself responded a, co- a day later, say, or once that they were uncovered a day later, he said that democracy should be respecting other democracies. And then Diaspora Affairs Minister Amichai Shikli, who's in Netanyahu's party, said that Nides should mind his own business. And Nides is someone who, from what I've known, keeps receipts and for what I was under, was told, kind of waited for the right time to respond. And that came on Tuesday at the INSS conference that Tal mentioned earlier. He also had a live stage interview and he said the following. Some Israeli official, I don't know who he is, I don't think I've even met him, suggested that I should stay out of Israel's business. I really think that most Israelis do not want America to stay out of our business, he said. So, so it's pretty fiery comments. I think um, he, I guess he was trying to say, look, you guys want our support, our security support, our diplomatic support. But again, the way he phrased it, I don't think was taken too well. Once again, I think just to like to, because no country wants another country, quote unquote, being in their business. Like a big brother sister exactly um there's a bit of a power imbalance here i guess and then i'd slyly like slightly mentioned also by the way last week we were quite uh helpful at the un and calling for and urging people to uh, to not uh, vote against you and we referenced the reason why they shouldn't is because you've got really strong uh independent uh judiciary institutions and shared values and and whatnot um and he again reiterated the call to pump the brakes and even mentioned look it's not just me saying this president isaac herzog is saying it as well um, and still, he, I think he realized how forceful the comments came off, and he quickly emphasized that we love Israeli democracy, we'll continue to stand by Israel. He talked about how they won't, uh, they won't allow any sort of a, there's no daylight on the Iran issue that Israel can strike and, and the U.S. will have its back. So there were a couple of comments to kind of uh, soften the blow a bit. But uh, Sheikh Lee responded again on his own, saying the U.S. is our closest ally and a beacon of democracy. I'm confident it will stand by our conviction that Israeli civ- citizens should run their own affairs and enjoy, in the words of Thomas Jefferson, a government that derives just powers from the consent of the governed. For listeners, the diaspora minister need to work very close with the American ambassador in Israel because he is the one, I mean, this is 60 days into this government. Chikli didn't meet the ambassador yet. 
But now, you know, after that, you know, last night, I'm not sure that there will be any meeting or a working uh, atmosphere between them at the highest level. Because if you do not understand, the, the, the diaspora minister is basically has to work with all of the, you know, Jewish communities all over the United States, the biggest Jewish community in the world. And who represents those Americans, Jewish communities in Israel? I mean, they're American citizens. Who is their, you know, lawful representative? This is the ambassador to the country. If you want to get an outreach or anything, I mean, you know, working with the embassy is like basic, you know, 101 for the diaspora minister. So what does he do? He's just, you know, ruin the relationship or any prospects of a, of a work uh, in order just, you know, on the start of his ministry. So that's unbelievable to me. Another minister in this government that the U.S. doesn't really have a relationship with. They already are not publicly boycotting Ben Gvir, the national security minister, but they, they haven't met with him that yet. And from what I understand, um, Nides has told folks that he's not planning on it to for the time being. Same with Smoltrich, they haven't met with him. So the list is growing. Uh, and they obviously keep saying that there are addresses in Netanyahu, and that's who the person we want to deal with, and we hold him responsible for the actions of it, the other ministers. But it's not an effective way, especially if we're going to talk about how close this relationship is, that this list of ministers that the U.S. isn't dealing with is growing. Um, so it's definitely concerning for those who care about the U.S.'s relationship. And we will keep on following all of this as we do. Thank you, Jacob. Thanks, Jacob. Thanks, Tal, for being on today's Daily Briefing. Thank you. Thanks, Jessica. Sure. We will be back tomorrow with another one. And in the meantime, have yourselves a good day. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Times of Israel's Daily Briefing. And thanks to our producer, Gilad Brownstein, and to Gili Amar for this out-of-this-world music. You can find us daily wherever you find your podcasts. And on our mothership, timesofisrael.com. Like what you hear? Consider rating us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify to spread the word. Until next time. Shalom. Shalom.